Thank you, Sarah, for that ministry in music. Sometimes we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. We feel forced or compelled to do things that we don't want to do. In the particular passage we are in this morning, it's an introduction to chapters 11 and 12, wherein Paul feels it necessary, compelled to boast about things that he doesn't think he should boast about. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Paul says that he's going to speak like a foolish person. He's going to take credit for things that he has done that he knows that he does not deserve the credit for. But he says, you have compelled me. Paul was seeking to expose the error of false apostles who are promoting themselves rather than promoting Christ. And so last week we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18, Paul said, It is not he who commends himself that is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. Paul was being accused of being weak and hard to listen to. They said his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive, and his speech is contemptible. It was true that Paul was not an eloquent speaker, but that did not mean that he did not have a great deal to offer. He was not eloquent, but he was profound. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 6, But even if I am unskilled in speech, I am not so in knowledge. Paul had great spiritual insights that would be of great value to the Corinthians. But they failed to recognize the value of those spiritual insights because they were more concerned about how he said what he said rather than what it was that he said. The Corinthians should have readily recognized Paul's value and worth, but many of them unfortunately failed to do so. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 6, We have made this evident to you in all things. You should have seen this, but unfortunately they didn't. So Paul is going to draw a contrast between himself and these false apostles that some Corinthians were putting a great deal of stock in. 2 Corinthians 10.1 Now I, Paul, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold when you were absent. The false apostles were accusing Paul of sour grapes. In other words, they accused him of finding fault with them because he didn't measure up. Of course, he has to say that the way in which we speak is not important. It's what we say because listen to the way he speaks. Of course, he's going to say that bodily presence doesn't matter because look at him. He's weak. He's frail. He's feeble. So, he's downplaying these very important things because he just doesn't measure up. 
So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 5, For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. I uh, like the way that the NIV translates chapter 11, verse 6, where it refers to them as super apostles. These individuals, these false apostles, were coming across as not only were they apostolic in their authority, but they were superior to the true and right apostles. And in this instance, superior to the Apostle Paul. So, what is he to do? How is he to respond to this criticism? Two of my favorite verses in the scriptures are Proverbs chapters 26 verse 4 and Proverbs chapter 26 verse 5. It reads, Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you're going to be like him. Don't get caught up in addressing stupid things or you're soon going to sound pretty stupid yourself. Then the very next verse is the antithesis of that one. It says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he's going to be wise in his own eyes. If you don't answer the fool, then they're going to think like they've won the day. They're going to think that they have proven their point, And they're going to be continuing on in their foolishness. So on the one hand, don't get involved in answering a fool in his folly, because you're just going to go down the same road that he goes. But on the other hand, if you don't answer a fool in his folly, he might very well just continue on and think that he's won the day. So what do you do? That's the rock and the hard place. So Paul began by trying to expose the foolishness of, the, of these false apostles. And now he is going to enter into the same kind of boasting that they had entered into to try to illustrate the foolishness of it. Paul is going to compare himself to these false apostles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 19, the Corinthians were convinced. Now when I keep saying the Corinthians, it's a small element of the Corinthians. But a small of them were convinced that they were right and that they were wise. And so Paul says very sarcastically in verse 19, For you being so wise, bear with the foolish gladly. You and your superior wisdom put up with all of this foolishness. You and your superior wisdom have bought into it. You have caved in. You have gone along with it. So Paul is going to enter into a discussion of foolishness. If the Corinthians are going to be impressed by foolish boasting, then Paul could certainly play that game. Paul could boast in any area that these false apostles want to boast in. And when we get to chapter 12, we look at those areas in, in some detail. We're not going to do that yet this morning. But rather, We want to emphasize that Paul was not uh, engaged in sour grapes. That Paul is not afraid of comparing himself to these false apostles. 
And it was not as though Paul was trying to change the discussion away from an arena in which he looked bad to an arena in which he looked good. But it was important that he exposed the foolishness for what it was. So Paul exposes this foolishness by demonstrating that he could have a superiority in boasting in the things that these false apostles were boasting in. The theme of this morning's message is that Paul felt it necessary to boast even though he did not want to. So there are a number of points this morning. The first is this. Paul is going to boast that he is a superior apostle, but he does so with a very significant series of disclaimers. Before Paul gets into this boasting, which really comes in chapter 12, he's got a a list of disclaimers. He, He wants to set the record straight. The first thing he wants to emphasize is what he's about to say in chapter 12 is foolish. It is foolish. And when the scripture uses the term foolish, it really doesn't mean stupid or moronic or even uh, uneducated. To be foolish in the scripture is to go against the word of God. To think oneself to be wiser or superior to God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That in the scripture is a foolish person. A person who rejects God's truth. And so Paul wants to begin by laying this disclaimer and saying, the things I'm going to say to you this morning go against God's truth. Go against what God has revealed. And you need to be aware of that. All all boasting is foolish because it goes against the character and person of God. Let him that boasts, Paul says in chapter 10, let him boast in the Lord. That's the proper thing. You want to give credit. You want to give glory. You want to talk about what God does in the life of an individual then you talk about what God does. You don't talk about what human beings do. That's the wrong emphasis. That's crediting the wrong source. So Paul says, first of all, all such boasting is foolish. Look at verse 1. I wish that you would bear with me a little foolishness. Jump down to 2 Corinthians 11.21. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison But in whatever respect else is bold. And then these words, I speak in foolishness. 2 Corinthians 11, 17. That which I am speaking, I'm not speaking as of the Lord, but as in foolishness. So this phrase keeps coming up time and time again. He doesn't want them to lose sight of the fact that boasting is foolish. It goes against the person And character of God. Secondly, all such boasting is not in keeping with the example of Christ. Look at verse 17. That which I am speaking, now these words, I'm not speaking as the Lord would. Now when I'm talking to you, I'm not saying the kind of things that Jesus would say. I'm not acting in the way that Jesus would act. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul said that's how, that's how Jesus reacts. That's how Jesus ministers. In meekness and in gentleness. But these Corinthians didn't prize meekness and gentleness. They prized, they, uh, they prized boldness, self-assertedness. Self-confidence. And so Paul says, I want you to know that when I'm speaking this way, I'm not speaking the way that Jesus would speak. And then thirdly, Paul says that such boasting was necessary for it is how the Corinthians viewed things. Look at 2 Corinthians 12 verse 1. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. And that seems like an antithesis. How could it be necessary without being profitable? Well, that's where Paul's in a rock and hard place. It seems like it's necessary because that's all you'll tolerate. But it's not spiritually profitable. It's not beneficial. You don't want to go down that road. Verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I have become foolish you yourselves have compelled me. So, Paul feels like, I don't want to do this. It's not spiritually profitable. It's not following the example of the Lord Jesus. It's not godly, but that seems like that's the only thing you're going to listen to. Application. Sometimes, in order to minister to people, we have to take into consideration where those people are coming from. Paul says... In 1 Corinthians, I become all things to all men that I might win some. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, we throw all standards out the window. But it does mean that we, we need to be aware of the audience that we are speaking to. That means we know not only their strengths, but it means we know where their, their weaknesses are. And sometimes you have to reach people where they are, as it were. And Paul looks at these Corinthians and says, you know, it's really unfortunate that this is where you are spiritually, that these are your values. But that's where they were. And that's where their values were. And so Paul says, if that's where you're at, I'll speak to you on that level. But I'm certainly going to try to move you from that level. Shows that Paul is long-suffering and gentle and kind, and meek. Secondly, Paul was not intimidated by these false apostles. He was not afraid to draw comparisons. That's what they were accusing him of. The fact that he couldn't measure up. And that's why he wasn't boasting. Paul says, no, I'm not, a, I'm not intimidated by these individuals. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 5. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, these super apostles. Uh, I'm, I'm not second class to them. Verse 5 uh, in uh, the NIV. I'm not inferior to these super apostles. Paul excelled where it really mattered. And that was in the ability to communicate truth. He readily acknowledges that he was not eloquent. Verse 6. But even if I am unskilled in speech... And here the idea is to be uh, a great orator. A person who 
is involved in elocution. Uh, a person who is able to speak in a very flamboyant way. Very impressive. Paul says, I'm not an orator. Now, Paul wasn't against oratory. An oratory in and of itself is not bad. Uh, the uh, Apollos was an orator. The scripture says that Apollos was eloquent. And he was greatly used of God. So it doesn't mean that we can't be eloquent. But that's not where the power lies. Um, Charles Spurgeon was an eloquent preacher. It was the way in which he could craft a phrase. He was uh, powerful. He was mighty to listen to. Draw drew huge crowds in times and in periods where that just didn't happen. So when he's ministering in, in London in the 1800s, uh, he is drawing crowds of over 5,000 people. They built a, uh, an auditorium for him that would seat 5,000 people. And one of the individuals that came to hear uh, Charles Spurgeon preach was the Queen of, of England. The Queen of England came and would sit and listen to what Charles Spurgeon would say. And she is reported as having said as she was leaving a church service one day with uh, commenting to Charles Spurgeon. She said, Brother Spurgeon, I will never agree with what you say, but I'll never tire of the way that you say it. She loved listening to Spurgeon. But she made it very clear that you haven't won me over. I don't agree with what you have to say. And you see, there's a, a great truthfulness in that eloquence. You, you, people aren't won over by elocution. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be eloquent. There is another story that's told about Charles Spurgeon. And that is that uh, he was invited and was to be a guest preacher at a service. And uh, he was late. Extraordinary circumstances happened and, and he was late. His grandfather had come to hear him preach. His grandfather was a preacher also. And so, because Charles wasn't there, they called upon the grandfather to preach in his stead. So the grandfather got up and started preaching. And about a quarter to halfway through the message, in come the back door is Charles. And his father looked out and saw Charles Spurgeon uh, entering. And so he called Charles up front. He said, the people came to hear you, not me. The grandfather sat down and the grandfather told Charles the text that he was preaching from. And uh, Charles picked up and finished the grandfather's sermon. The two of them stood at the door. One of the individuals that came out made a comment and said, uh, I just marveled, she said to the grandfather, how that sermon dovetailed how that went together and to which the grandfather said Charles can preach the gospel far better than I but he can't preach a better gospel you see it's about it's about truth it's about the content some people can say it more beautifully than others that's not what matters what matters is what's being said and if what is being said isn't the truth it doesn't matter how beautiful you say it. So Paul is saying to these individuals, 
I am not skilled in speech, but I am in knowledge. And that is what the Corinthians should have appreciated. The truth that Paul was giving them. Verse 6. In every way we have made this evident to you. This being the fact that he was knowledgeable. He taught them in so many different realms. And he said this ought to have been very apparent to you. But unfortunately it wasn't. And so in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, Paul says, I'm afraid. Lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which we have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. The NIV translates that you bear that easily. You put up with that. You tolerate that. Because it is more important to you how it's said than what is said. And Paul says, that's scary. That's really frightening. When it's more important to you how something is said rather than what is said. All too often, people are more impressed with how things are said rather than what is said. Or they're more concerned about pomp and circumstance. They're concerned about things that don't really matter. Many people choose where they're going to worship. Based on the facilities. Is it a nice building? Are the pews comfortable? Is it easily accessible? Is there plenty of parking? Is it located in a nice area? Some choose churches based on their programs. Is there something for the young child? Is there something for the elderly? They look at the program in terms of its social content and nature. Do they have sports teams? If I go to this church, can I play volleyball? If I go to this church, can I play softball? If I go to this church, are they going to have uh, activities that meet my need? Are there going to be socials that I can go to? Are there going to be barn parties? Are there going to be all this stuff that I can be involved in? And unfortunately for some people, that's more important than what is taught. That is more important than what they hear. They may be more concerned about the way in which it's presented. Is it interesting? Is there a PowerPoint? Is there drama? Is there, and on and on and on, rather than content. What is being said? Not that you can't have good tent, content with Powerhead. Not that you can't have good content with drama. That's not the point. The point is content. Content. What is being communicated? And Paul is afraid. Because they aren't discerning in content. That to them is less important than these other things. Thirdly, it should have been appreciated that Saul had not, uh, excuse me, Paul had not sought to exploit or intimidate the Christians. 
Paul had not sought to exploit or intimidate the Corinthians. Look at verse 7. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Paul said, I put myself in second place so that you could be treated as first place. This is exactly opposite of what these false teachers had done. Paul said, did I act inappropriately? In fact, he says in verse 7, did I commit a sin? Now, what's he referring to? Look at the second half of verse 7. Because I preached the gospel to you without, without, court, without charge. Paul said, was that a sin? Because I preached the gospel to you without charging you, without taking an offering for that. Was that, was that wrong? Was that something that you should be upset with me about? Well, of course not. Of course not. It should have been viewed as positive. It should have been viewed as praiseworthy. It should be used as, viewed as commendatory. If anyone was going to be found fault with Paul, it should have been verse 8. I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to serve you. Now, Paul didn't really think that. He didn't think that he was stealing from them. He's talking foolishly. Paul's saying, man, if anybody's been wronged, it's been these churches that I took money from in order to minister to you. Because when I was here, I didn't take any money from you. But they turned that from a positive to a negative. It's, it's, a, it's incredible the way sometimes people think, the way people value certain things. You know, cultic leaders uh, have a tendency, they drive around in limousines because that impresses people. Some people are impressed by leaders that drive around in limousines. They expect them to live in multi-million dollar mansions. Uh, they are impressed with people that walk in and, you know, they're, 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 their dress is so much superior to, to everyone else's. They look up to them. Paul says, I didn't do that. Was that wrong? Was, was, that, was that bad? Paul says, verse 19, You being wise, bear with the foolishness gladly. The Corinthians think they're so smart that in actuality they're, they're happy to put up with the foolishness of false apostles. Paul is seeking to expose the foolishness of the Corinthians' value system. Which, by way of application, is often what we are called to do as the people of God. We need to expose the foolishness of a non-believer's value system. That what they think is important is not important. And what they fail to see is important really is important. It's about priorities so often. And we need to think about where a money, where a ministry places its money, its time, its energy. The Corinthians had foolish allowed these false apostles to exploit and intimidate them. Verse 4. 
If one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully, or you put up with it easily. Paul says in verse 12, I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who would want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things about which they boast. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. These people are presenting themselves as servants of God. They are presenting themselves as preachers of righteousness. Paul says, in actuality, they are of the evil one. The Corinthians should have readily seen that. But they didn't. And the reason they didn't is because they didn't value the truth. They valued the pomp, the circumstance. And as a result, the Corinthians had foolishly allowed the false apostles to exploit them. They exploited them in a number of ways. First, the Corinthians had come under the power of these false apostles. Verse 20, For you bear with anyone if he enslaves you. Paul says, I wanted to exalt you. I wanted to free you. These people brought you into slavery. Think about cultic leaders for a moment. Think about the cults that that you're aware of. Think about Sun Young Moon. Uh, Hopefully that's not too dated. Uh, that you realize the Moonies and how enslaved they were to Sun Young Moon, where they couldn't do anything without his approval. And he would put them in airports to sell flowers, etc., in order to raise money for the ministry. They, they lost their individual lives. They lost the ability to make choices. And Paul is concerned about these individuals and says, don't you realize how enslaved you are becoming to these false apostles. Cults are enslaving by nature. They tend to be brainwashing. They, they, tame, they, they tend to take over people's personal lives. These Corinthians allowed themselves to be mistreated. Notice verse 11, verse 20. If he devours you, if he takes all that you have, they allowed themselves to be misused. Verse 20, if he takes advantage of you. He takes advantage of you. These, again, false apostles, these, these false prophets. Think of Jim Jones. The, the worst book I ever read was a description by an individual who had been a part of the cult that Jim Jones led, and they describe what went on in that cult. Remember, that's the cult that ultimately ends up in Guyana, and uh, people are drinking uh, 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 poison. They're committing suicide, and the rest that don't commit suicide are gunned down by uh, armed guards. But, but when you read about the uh, perversion that took place. Jim Jones uh, preached a message of love. But it was such a self-serving message of love. It had nothing to do with the, the Bible's understanding of love. And he taught that, that uh, 
every young girl should lose their virginity by having uh, a sexual relationship with him. That uh, he would show them how to love. And so every young girl's first sexual encounter was to be with Jim Jones. That enslaving mentality. It's, a, it's amazing that people would fall for such a thing. How could that ever happen? You see, it's a lack of concern for truth. It's a rejection of the biblical norm. It's a rejection of what God's Word has to say. People become brainwashed. These individuals act like heroes. Verse 20. For you bear with anyone if he enslaves you, if he devours you, if he takes advantage of you, if he exalts himself. Here are the the, uh, imagery is to be lifted high. To be lifted high. It probably is an imagery that that is of a very old nature, of course. We're talking about 2,000 years ago. And one of the ways in which people were lifted high was when individuals would carry them on their shoulders. You've probably seen uh, pictures of an ornate kind of carriage that had no wheels, but had poles instead. And people would place these poles on their shoulder and they would, would ride in pomp or circumstance and procession. Well, we don't do that. We don't do that. The closest example that I could think of of lifting somebody up on high is at the end of a football game. And somebody does something that is tremendously noteworthy. They caught the winning touchdown. They, they made the winning pass. And what do they do? They host the person on their shoulders and carry them off. It's a way to show deference. It's a way to praise and exalt them. And it says, these guys jump on your shoulders. They exalt themselves. They climb up your back. And they sit atop of your shoulders. And you put up with that. You tolerate it. They're boasting. They're exalting themselves. And you go right along with it. And then... The next one, which to us I think is really amazing, it says at the end of verse 20, if he hits you in the face, if he hits you in the face, when's the last time you went to church and somebody hit you in the face? To bring you into subjection. To bring you into submission. But you know, cults tend to be very autocratic. And they seek to instill fear in those that are followers. Back to Jim Jones and the book that I read. How if anyone would talk back to Jim Jones, if anybody would raise a question, he would have them publicly beaten in front of the congregants to show that such insurrection wasn't going to be tolerated. And I mean beaten with, with sticks, with rods, So that people would be instilled with fear. One of the difficulties, people are afraid to leave cults. They're afraid of of the reprisal of what's going to happen to them. That's how bad it was getting in Corinth. 
So, what a comparison. Paul, who is meek and mild, and these other people over here who are beating people who aren't in subjection. What a difference in message. Where Paul says to the, to the church that you need to forgive this person who had committed the sin of having a sexual relationship uh, with, his, uh, with his mother. This other group would have said, man, beat the guy silly. Make him realize. Make him come to understand the truth. What is it? The heart of all this is positively we are to value meekness and truth. And negatively, we are to reject fear and intimidation. And Paul, before he was saved, used fear and intimidation. Before he was saved, he was persecuting the church. He was trying to instill fear within them that they would forsake their understanding of truth and embrace a Judaism that he himself had embraced. Once Paul comes to Christ, there is no persecution. There is no hunting down of the enemies. And there are no threats against these false apostles. Paul doesn't utter one threat. He doesn't say, if you keep this up, you know what I'm going to do to you? If you don't stop, do you know what your end's going to be? He doesn't say, I'm going to take you out back. I'm going to thrash you. He doesn't say, I'm going to put you in prison. He doesn't say, I'm going to kill you. He utters no threats. Because that's in keeping with the person and character of Jesus Christ. And there were some in Corinth that looked down on Paul because he did not administer the threats. They viewed that as weakness. Paul says that's not weakness. That's strength. We need to be aware of intimidation and exploitation in all of its forms. Most likely, we're not going to encounter much physical intimidation. But you may encounter an intellectual intimidation. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians eleven nineteen, For you being so wise... Bear with the foolish gladly. There are people that are going to seek to intimidate you, to make you feel foolish for believing the truth of the Word of God. How can you be so foolish? How can you be so narrow-minded? How can you be so small? How can you be so simple? How could you be so archaic as to believe these things? And they would seek to intimidate you. Foucault is a French philosopher Uh, very popular, actually, today, in many of his his thoughts. And one of Foucault's basic presuppositions is that language tends to be uh, intimidating. That people use language to put people in their place. That the main purpose of language 
for Foucault is not to communicate, it's to intimidate. How? By demonstrating a vocabulary that is superior. To, to come across as being wise. Okay? Uh, pedantry is a word that you may or may not know. Pedantry means, uh, pedantry is a ostentatious show of knowledge. What does that mean? Pedantry is showing off your vocabulary simply to gain an advantage. To come across as superior. There's a story that's told of a small country church that got a new city preacher that was very well educated. And uh, as the uh, pastor spoke, it came the end of the service. He's leaving, and one of the prisoners says, Brother, I can tell you're going to be a great preacher. I couldn't understand a word you said. That's not greatness. That's not greatness. But sometimes people seek to gain an advantage by trying to show how intellectually superior they are and how foolish you are for believing what you do. I pity, <laughs> I really do, I, I, I pity uh, people that are seminary professors. Some of them are, are really, really brilliant individuals. But they travel in circles in which they are demised, which they are put down, which they are belittled because of their beliefs. We probably don't experience a whole lot of that. But in certain college towns, in certain communities, and in certain workplaces, That ridicule can be stinging. And it's a form of intimidation. Paul doesn't use intimidation. Then there is emotional intimidation. 2 Corinthians 10 and 11, it says that the truth of Christ is in me. This boasting of mine will not be stopped in regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows I love you. These Individuals, these false apostles were accusing Paul of not loving the Corinthians. Of not caring about the Corinthians. Of not being involved in the life of the Corinthians. Be aware. You know, the Absaloms of this world that sat at the gate and said, David doesn't care about you, but I care about you. If I were your king, I would meet your needs. I'd be watching over you. Uh, I would be taking care of you. And Absalom won the hearts of the people. And David had to flee the throne. There are going to be people that want to say, we care about you. And back to the cults. Back to the cults. The draw of the cults many times is the familial relationship that they're able to establish. That the people in the cult are more important than anyone else. And they actually will cut people off from their families and not allow them to visit or talk or write to their families 
but only be involved in the life of the cult and to get people emotionally involved and committed and say, your parents, they don't really love you. Your friends, they don't really care about you. We care about you. We love you. We will protect you. We will meet your needs. And Paul is saying, beware. These people are deceivers. And then there is physical intimidation. Where it says that he hits you in the face. There, are, there is physical intimidation at times. Um, such as, I mentioned Jim Jones in Guyana. Or think about the massacre that took place in Waco, Texas. Where people are marching around with armed guards supposedly protecting the people but turn those very same guns on the adherents of the cults. Wow. That's out there. That's extreme. But it's not crazy. It's not crazy. There are people that have good evangelical backgrounds that end up in cults. How does that happen? How could that ever be? Bottom line, we can look at the social issues of needs and feeling love. We can talk about intimidation. We can talk about all those things. But bottom line, is because they haven't been concerned with truth. They have looked at the Word of God as being foolish and weren't concerned that the Word of God is what is taught, what is believed, and obeyed. May I just say to you today that the most important thing in the life of any church, any church, the most important thing ought to be the truth that is proclaimed in the preaching and teaching of the Word. Not how it is preached, how it is taught, not the program, not the volleyball games, not the baseball teams, not the color of the carpet, not the size of the sanctuary, not the accessibility of the parking, not the beautifulness of the nursery, none of those things should ever reach to the place that the most important thing is the truth of God's Word. If you love the truth of God's Word, you will be protected. If other things begin to become more important to you than the truth of God's Word, Heaven help you where that might lead. That's Second Corinthians 11. Let's pray. Oh Lord, protect us. I pray that you would guard us and keep us through the truth of your word. May we hunger and thirst after righteousness by hungering and thirsting.
thirsting after the truth of your word. Lord, may we see the value of faithfulness to your truth. And may we hold in high regard not the physical or emotional or personality characteristics of individuals. But Lord, may we just cherish and value your word. And when it is taught, when it is believed and obeyed, O God, may all glory go to you, for it is your word. We are just recipients of it. And may we see its value and its praise and glorify you and not individuals. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.